0: It's Tuesday, July 10th, and this is The Daily Diet. The big announcement has been made. President Trump has made his second nomination to the Supreme Court in two years. Sam Baker, reporter for Axios, joins us to discuss who the new nominee is and all the money that will be poured into the confirmation battle. As the midterm elections quickly approach, I expect the battle for the next Supreme Court justice to figure prominently. Next, the debate continues to swirl as to the effectiveness that e-cigs provide when someone is trying to cut down on smoking. A new study suggests that vaping often doesn't help smokers quit. Betsy McKay, senior writer for the Wall Street Journal, joins us for more on why vaping isn't helping you quit. Finally, start saying goodbye to the plastic straw. As more cities and companies are starting to ditch the single-use plastic straw, Starbucks has said they will ban plastic straws completely by 2020. Kate Bratzgier, senior editor for Mike, fills us in on the phase out of straws and what is next for Starbucks. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: This incredibly qualified nominee deserves a swift confirmation and robust bipartisan support. The rule of law is our nation's proud heritage. It is the cornerstone of our freedom. It is what guarantees equal justice. And the Senate. Now has the chance to protect this glorious heritage by sending Judge Brett
0: Kavanaugh to the United States Supreme Court. Joining us now is Sam Baker, reporter for Axios. President Trump made the big announcement. It was his second nominee for a Supreme Court justice. He nominated Judge Brett Kavanaugh. Why did the president pick Brett Kavanaugh?
1: Brent Kavanaugh seems like a guy who was born to be a Supreme Court justice. He's very much an establishment candidate, very much a favorite of the conservative legal establishment here in D.C. He has the Ivy League education. He clerked for the Supreme Court. He has been a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which is the, the second most powerful court in the country for, I think, about 13 years. He just really has the perfect resume for this job.
0: I think Mitch McConnell had mentioned to President Trump kind of warning about Brett Kavanaugh that he has a very long list of rulings and and legal writings, and that might make it a rocky confirmation process for him. But he has been also uh, been called, I think Senator Dick Durbin called him the Forrest Gump of Republican politics, meaning he pops up everywhere at all these flashpoints in big Republican issues.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. That's uh, just to be clear, the Forrest Gump comparison was not an attempt to call him dumb. It was about how he just He's popping up. Yeah, he was. He worked with Ken Starr on the Whitewater investigation and that became the much bigger Clinton investigation. He was in the Bush administration. He was on the Bush uh, legal team during Bush v. Gore. Then his nomination in the D.C. Circuit was sort of caught up in a lot of politics in the Senate. And now he is another very controversial nominee to the Supreme Court. He does have that history here in Washington, but I think that that's a history that a lot of Republicans are, at minimum, very comfortable with, if not very excited about.
0: One of the interesting things that I had been reading about Brett Kavanaugh is that he was involved with Ken Starr and and, uh, President Clinton. But beyond that, he wrote that Congress should establish that the president can't be indicted unless he leaves the office voluntarily or is impeached by the House of Representatives. And we know that President Trump right now is going through a bunch of uh, legal inquiries and the, the Mueller investigation and whatnot. It seems like this uh, justice would also possibly side with him if he gets subpoenaed or something like that, and, and a legal fight goes to the Supreme Court. I think
1: that's something you're definitely going to hear Democrats question him about pretty aggressively during his confirmation hearing when that rolls around. There is a distinction to be drawn between what he has said, maybe the law should be. He did say Congress should change the law, which does not necessarily mean that if he were in a position to decide, you know, you you could still see a, a situation where he said, well, I did think Congress should change the law. They didn't. So I have to stick with what the law is now.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the confirmation process, because while the Republicans do have a majority, it is a narrow majority. When we didn't know who the pick was, Roe versus Wade was a central issue that certain senators were going to be targeted for Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins. But Brett Kavanaugh has said that he would stick to precedent, hasn't really made an official position on Roe versus Wade in the in the past. How does his confirmation process look like it's gonna go?
1: I think it is still safe to assume, first of all, that abortion will be the dominant issue throughout this entire process. And I think it's also still safe to assume that he would probably be relatively conservative on that issue, not maybe going all the way toward overturning Roe versus Wade, but perhaps upholding some limits on abortion that the court with Justice Kennedy in place, might have struck down, which in turn opens the door for more states to try even more restrictive policies. So I think there's still, a lot of confidence on the right and a lot of well-founded fear on the left that he will be pretty conservative on that front.
0: What does it take to overturn a ruling like that? Can they just pick it up and say, hey, this is one of the issues we want to clarify and, and rule again on this? Or does a new lawsuit have to be brought up?
1: That's an excellent question, and it really takes a lot. And that's one of the reasons that I think you're unlikely to see that happen with Roe v. Wade at least very soon. Some lawsuit has to come to them that raises that question again which means it has to get all the way through lower courts addressing that question, first of all, and then saying, well, for some reason, Roe v. Wade either doesn't apply here or we're just going to disregard that precedent, which judges do not tend to do. So I think it's much more likely that you see it chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. And then it's possible that at some point, 20 years down the line, he'll still be on the court then. The court might look back and say, well, you know, this right has been chipped away so much. Maybe it's time to revisit whether Roe was right in the first place. But I really don't think that would be the first step. And it'd be very hard to get that question to the Supreme Court as a first step.
0: Let's talk about the millions of dollars that are going to be flooded into this confirmation battle. One of the groups is called Demand Justice. They are going to be opposing this nominee. But uh, one of their executive directors said, if you combine the intensity of the healthcare fight and tax fight and condense it all into three months running right up to the midterms, that's what's in store for this SCOTUS battle. And I mean, that rings true. It's going to be an intense battle, lots of money going back and forth. And it's going on right in the midst of the midterm elections. Well, how much money is going to be poured into this stuff?
1: Oh, it'll be millions and millions and millions of dollars. It gets a little bit more every time as everyone wises up to the fact that the elected branches are going to be at a stalemate most of the time. And so all of our hardest political debates are going to be settled in the courts. And therefore, ultimately, at the Supreme Court, I think you just see these judicial wars escalate further and further and further. Right now, it's bigger than it's ever been until the next one. And that'll be even bigger than this one. So you'll see millions of dollars on both sides. Groups were lined up to spend that money even before we knew who the nominee was. There were still conservatives ready to run ads that said support, insert nominee's name here, and Democrats ready to run ads that said oppose, insert nominee's name here.
0: Right. There's going to be protests. There's going to be weeks of action and days of action that are coming up. Is there a timeline for when a confirmation hearing would be happening?
1: Mitch McConnell, the majority leader in the Senate, has said he wants to get this done, get Kavanaugh confirmed in time to join the court before its next term starts, which is in October. That's a very aggressive timeline. That would mean that the Senate Judiciary Committee does most of its background vetting, reading through his old decisions, any law review articles he's written, that sort of thing. This month and through August, probably a confirmation hearing in September and then a vote uh, later in September. So that's a very fast timeline. That's what Mitch McConnell was talking about, that he's got so many rulings It could slow things down, just sort of the process of going through it all. If it does, I don't think it would slow things down considerably. I think you'll definitely see him seated this year and probably before October.
0: Sam Baker, reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.
1: My pleasure.
2: When you look at someone vaping, you're sort of like, you know, is it? okay? Is it not okay?
0: Joining us now is Betsy McKay, senior writer for the Wall Street Journal. With the rise of e-cigarettes and vaping, the companies are touting it as an alternative to smoking. It'll help you quit smoking even. But there's been a lot of studies done on this now, and the newest one says that vaping doesn't really help out smokers uh, in the quitting process. What do we know about this new study?
3: You're
2: right that there have been a lot of studies on this, and some find that vaping helps quit smoking. Other studies find that they don't. So there's a lot of confusion. This study was done by researchers at Georgia State University. Um, It was funded by a federal grant. And they decided to take what they call the real world look at what smokers are actually doing. So they studied 858 smokers and followed them for a year. They interviewed them in the fall of Uh, late summer or fall of 2015 and then exactly a year later about their smoking and vaping habits. Were they smoking? Were they vaping? If they were vaping, what kind of device did they use? How often did they do it? And why were they vaping? Were they vaping because they were trying to quit smoking or not? What they found was that U.S. adult smokers who didn't use vaping devices, e-cigarettes, were more than twice as likely to quit smoking as those who did. So this was you know, a bit of a surprise. Right? <laughs>
0: they didn't mention what they were using to quit smoking, though, did they?
2: They were asked if they vaped or if they didn't vape. They also did talk to them about how they quit smoking. So that was included as well.
0: And those people that did quit, what were they using?
2: A lot of them
0: quit cold turkey. Others were using
2: their cessation devices, but a surprising number just quit cold turkey.
0: Yeah, a lot of people say you have to make a conscious decision to want to stop. And then from there you can go, obviously, people need help. And that's why they make patches and things like that. That's more of a nicotine type addiction thing. But if you want to stop, Mm -hmm. a lot of people just say, hey, you just got to really make the decision and and go there. If the vaping isn't helping out, I know there's been a lot of research. What has other research been saying about the potential for vaping to help stem smoking?
2: There are a lot of studies now into e-cigarettes. Some of them are looking at what their own health effects are, others are comparing them to cigarettes, and still other studies are just asking the question, do they help you quit? So some studies have found that in fact they do help quit, you quit. Other studies have found no, they don't. And one one area that's really of concern is what's called dual use, so it's when smokers, are smoking and vaping so clearly you know the vaping is not a cessation aid in that sense (laughs) they just enjoy
0: it so much they're doing it twice
2: (laughs) Um, right well it's, it's allowing them to get nicotine in places and at times when they can't smoke, right? Right. In the workplace, in a restaurant. So the concern, obviously, about this is that this is just kind of expanding the habit rather than helping people quit
0: smoking. Researchers at Georgia State University were pretty adamant about this. They said they found no evidence that vaping helps uh, stem smoking. So they were pretty tough on that. Did they have reasons for why they they don't think it helps?
2: They did give some reasons, a few possible ones. One is that e-cigarettes, may just not be, mimic the experience of smoking enough for smokers to want to switch. So one problem is that they may not be getting enough nicotine from vaping to switch to vaping from cigarettes completely. The other big problem that, that they pointed out is just that there's a lot of confusion out there among the public. You know, they're reading, hearing, seeing conflicting bits of information about e-cigarettes. They're either good for you or they're not <laughs> harmful right, or helpful. Exactly. This is causing them not to really understand what role e-cigarettes can play in helping them quit or not.
0: Yeah, they were even uh, people opposed to the study were even trying to cast a little bit of doubt, saying that they did the study before the technology increased even more and let you get a little more nicotine to more closely resemble cigarettes. They were just trying to cast a little bit of doubt on it.
2: Right. Well, actually, the the authors of this this study themselves pointed that out. So they did their study. The e-cigarette technology is developing so quickly that things have changed since even the fall of 2016. And some of these newer, smaller devices deliver much more nicotine, first of all, and smokers say that they more closely resemble the experience of smoking. So the authors themselves said, you know, if we were to do the study today, we might not get the same results.
0: And everybody is all over the place. Uh, Morning Consult just did a, they just did a survey about smokers and the same thing that you kind of mentioned, dual uh, dual users, the number of those people are up. But generally, vaping has a better perception publicly, at least, than smoking cigarettes. People are all over the board on this one still.
2: Yeah, they are. And, you know, part of it is that the, the science itself on what the, health effects of e-cigarettes are it's still pretty new like you know people know that they're safer than cigarettes right it's not burning tobacco right. but you're still getting nicotine and then there's this vapor and what is the you know what's in the vapor and what could that do to you there's not a lot known on that the science there is some there are some studies you know and but it's all very nascent and so when you look at someone vaping you're sort of like you know is it okay? Is it not okay? I think right. I think that's what they're taught. These authors were talking about.
0: Betsy McKay, senior writer for The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thank you. The Starbucks came out with two alternatives to the plastic straw. The first, some people might have already tried out in some of its stores. It kind of just looks like a plastic sippy cup
0: for adults. Joining us now is Kate Bratskier. She's the senior editor for food and travel for Mike. So Starbucks has announced that they will ban plastic straws by 2020. And they got a couple of other things in mind to replace that. They're like one of the biggest companies so far that have uh, made this and we'll get into it in a minute, but it kind of puts McDonald's under some pressure now to respond almost. What's uh, the big news? This is a big deal. So
3: Starbucks says it will do away with plastic straws, those iconic green straws that everyone drinks their frappuccinos out of by 2020. McDonald's has been playing around with alternatives, though it hasn't committed to anything in the U.S. So in the U.K., they are looking into alternatives because of a proposed ban by Theresa May to do away with plastic utensils and straws throughout the U.K.
0: By last count, Starbucks, uh, they say that they use about 2 billion plastic straws a year. So this will cut down quite a bit for them. I, I think they're trying to hedge some bets and, you know, they're rolling it out over the next year. So they would say it would reduce about a billion each year for uh, uh, in the beginning. This whole movement kind of got started with a viral video of a turtle back in 2015 that had a straw stuck in his nose. And it was a pretty crazy video. They were pulling it out of his nose. So everybody got in an uproar about it and started this movement
3: yeah i think that people consider straws to be a pretty harmless tool that we use every day you know they're benign seeming and once that video came out people realized the great effects that straws can have on the environment they pollute beaches more than any other plastic you know they're kind of prevalent everywhere because they're hard to recycle and often don't get caught by the uh, plastic machines that the recycling.
0: A lot of this movement has to do with single-use plastic products, and a straw is one of those things you're going to use for minutes, maybe, and then it's done. It's done with. You're not going to use it anymore. So, what are they going to be replacing the plastic straws with? What is Starbucks doing?
3: So, Starbucks came out with two alternatives to the plastic straw. The first, some people might have already tried out in some of its stores. It is called a strawless lid. It kind of just looks like a plastic sippy cup but for adults. Uh, And they do that with their nitro cold brew right now. So it's, if you can imagine, just a sippy cup made out of plastic. They pop that on top of the cold brew and then you sip it out of that instead of the straw. And the other alternative they're working on is it is a biodegradable straw or a paper straw. I'm not sure which they're launching.
0: Right. And we've done, we actually did a story on this before only because paper straws have grown in popularity since a lot of cities have been trying to find a fix for the single-use plastic straws. Seattle actually became the first major city to ban plastic straws. That just happened on July 1st. But a lot of these bars and restaurants that are using paper straws, they've come up under, you know, uh, the supply limit is very limited. You know, they're having to make orders weeks and months in advance because so many people are ordering paper straws now, they can't get them. So it's kind of a a fun uh, change in industry that's going to be happening, these other manufacturers are going to get a boon right now uh, as, as more and more companies are starting to ditch these plastic straws.
3: Yeah, I think it's a good problem to have for paper straw manufacturers. I believe I read somewhere that um, a paper straw factory recently opened in England just to prepare for the proposed ban. So um, I think we will be seeing more paper straws throughout the industry
0: do we know uh, why these uh, the regular plastic straws are so difficult to capture in the recycling process is it just because they're too small and and just miss the, the machines miss them
3: I think that's part of it also they are sometimes not completely recyclable they're made out of a different kind of plastic that can't be broken down by these machines so it's a combination of both.
0: Well, uh, we'll see how uh, the rollout changes. Uh, I'm sure we'll all, more of us will be <laughs> drinking out of these uh, sippy cups, as you say. Kudos to Starbucks for uh, trying to help the planet out a little bit.
3: Yeah, it's a great first step. I'd love to see another innovation where we're not throwing away plastic, but it's a great first step. I will give them that.
0: Kate Bratskier, Senior Editor for Food and Travel at Mike. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.